Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over the series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy this series. In this first episode, we take a look at Captain America, the first Avenger. This podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I am back with Megan Doherty for a new challenge. We're going to review the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe on popcorn and compliance. Why? Well, you could say why not, but I'll say because it's there and because we are MCU uber geeks. Uh, And we enjoy talking together. We enjoy talking about the MCU and we enjoy podcasting. So we hope that you will join us in this 30 plus show exploration over the next however long it takes. So, uh, also, if you're an MCU Uber geek and you want to be on our pod, let us know because we're going to have special guests from time to time. We're going to review the films as they appear in chronological order in the MCU universe, not by release date. So that means we begin at the beginning with Captain America, the very first Avenger. So, as I said, I'm Tom Fox. I'm your co-host. I'm the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network and the Voice of Compliance. And I'm Megan Doherty. I'm the co-founder of One Stone Creative. And uh, as Tom said, this uh, year, because winter is looming uh, for both of us, we're reviewing the entire MCU. Uh, And this is going to be a lot of fun. So, Tom, do you want to start us with a story synopsis for Captain America, the first Avenger? Sure. Uh, During the present day, scientists uh, uncover in the Arctic an old frozen aircraft. Uh, In March of 1942, a Nazi lieutenant general and his men stole something called a tesseract, which had uh, otherworldly powers from a town in Germany-occupied Norway. Uh, Around the same time, Steve Rogers, when he was uh, puny, was rejected for military recruitment uh, by the United States into World War II, due to his puniness. And um, he got whipped and beaten up all the time. But while at an exhibit of technological uh, advances with his best friend, then Sergeant Bucky Barnes, he uh, attempted again to enlist. He was overheard by a scientist, Dr. Abraham Erskine, uh, who was able to get him in to the Army. And uh, Erskine got him on a special um, unit uh, that was looking for someone to go into a very special program. So um, Dr. Erskine wanted to try to uh, create a super soldier, and he had a serum to do so. 
And he ejected Rogers with the serum and subjected him to something called beta rays or perhaps vita rays. And he emerged from this experiment uh, as the Captain America we know, buff, fast, <laughs> tall, good looking, very American. And he, um, unfortunately, during the process, Dr. Erskine was assassinated by Nazi uh, agents in the United States. And we have the first scene where uh, Chris, uh, or, or rather, um, Steve Rogers goes after the assassin. Uh, he catches him, but he's unable to interrogate him to find out more because the assassin commits suicide. Captain America then goes on a a very uh, gauche and cliche tour to sell war bonds in the United States. And uh, he sells war bonds, but he wants to get into the action. So he's sent to Europe where, unfortunately, his action is um, uh, entertaining troops. And he um, is entertaining troops and they uh, chastise him for never having seen combat, which is correct. He finds out that his best buddy, Bucky, has been captured uh, fairly close by, and he persuades two of the people on his team, uh, who we'll talk a lot about later, uh, Peggy Carter, uh, probably my favorite character. Yes, she's that good looking. Um, uh, (laughs) But also uh, the father of uh, a later character that we'll see in Iron Man, Engineer Howard Stark. So um, Howard Stark flies him uh, along with uh, Agent Carter to a location in uh, somewhere in Europe, uh, probably in the Black Force of Germany, where uh, the uh, Nazi General Schmidt has uh, a facility. Um, Hydra is a name also you'll hear a lot about. And he, Rogers, infiltrates the facility, destroys it, rescues the Americans and brings them back. And he becomes a big hero. And he then uh, creates a group or recruits a group of um, other uh, soldiers, and they go around attacking Hydra bases. Bucky's a part of this. In one of the raids, Bucky falls off a train, we think to his death, but it turns out that uh, he's not. Rogers is given certain uh, weapons, advanced weapons. One is the ubiquitous shield uh, made of vibranium um, that uh, we'll hear a whole lot about later. He eventually catches up. Uh, with uh, Jan Schmidt, and they have it out in a battle uh, for the Tesseract. And the Tesseract uh, is captured by Steve Rogers. He uh, gets it on a plane and is flying back to America. And the uh, plane is uh, not going to make it. And because of actions that happen while they're flying back, Rogers realizes that if he crash lands into the United States, it will cause a huge, essentially, atomic explosion. So he ditches the plane in the ocean. In in a pretty touching farewell that became more touching, actually, as we saw more movies over the series, is a a very poignant uh, goodbye with uh, his now love, Peggy Carter, and says goodbye to her. He crashes into the ocean and goes under the Arctic, and uh, we assume he's dead. However, in the final scene of the movie, he wakes up, and he wakes up in a hospital room listening to a Brooklyn Dodgers ball game, and he's, I think, playing the Philadelphia Phillies. And I think he's he's a little confused because uh, the radio transmission is of a game that he attended 
1942. And so when uh, someone appears um, to talk to him, who we later find out is Nick Fury, um, he senses that something is askance, and he escapes from a room out into the middle of 2008 Times Square. So 21st century Times Square. And he realizes, uh, or Nick Fury tells him then, what has happened to him? He's been asleep for seventy years, and this, um, and then Fury proposes that uh, he go on a mission for him. So this is the start of the Avengers. That's why it's called the First Avenger, although it wasn't chrono- uh, the release date the first. It was chronologically the first. So a, a lot to unpack in this. It was a very long movie. And Megan, maybe I could ask you to start with what were some of the top. Um, either uh, movie points or highlights from your perspective? I think that the first one for me was the movie as a whole. Cause I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the Canadian, um, a movie called Captain America did not have an immediate draw to me to as something I would, you know, inherently enjoy. And, uh, it was, uh, I hadn't watched the movies as they came out. I watched them all only for the first time in the last couple of years. And I was like, okay, well I have to start from the beginning. So I'll watch this movie. It'll be propaganda. It'll be awful. And I didn't expect to fall in love, <laughs> but it was, so the most surprising, wonderful movie, um, I absolutely loved Captain America uh, and Steve Rogers is marvelous. Um, so kind of now having it, seen it a couple of times and been able to think about it and see how the rest <laughs> of the universe developed, um, I, I love how much they were able to foreshadow uh, in this movie from everything from the first scene of... Um, you know, young nerdy Steve uh, with the shield of, of the garbage can in the alley in the backyard outside the movie theater. Uh, again, with the cab door when he's first chasing that Hydra agent after becoming, you know, super strong Steve Rogers. Um, so I thought kind of the way they showed what he was becoming over the course of the film was extremely well done. Um, really getting into how he was used as propaganda was such a good callback to, I guess, how Captain America conceptually was developed in the forties and then turned into those comics to really try to get, you know, the American population who did not want to be involved in the second world war to be like, Hey guys, all right, let's, let's go do this. Let's, let's go punch Hitler. Um, so I thought that was a really nice way to kind of honor that history of the actual, the, the kind of development of the character. Um, and his relationship with, with Peggy was always so sweet. I kind of, I had noted down um, that the, relationship he had with her and was building with her, with her was almost as influential on him as the serum in terms of, um, you know, the decisions he made and the, the actions he took and the choices he made. Um, you know, she really pushed him to step outside of his comfort zones and, and do what he knew that he could deep down. Um, you know, I think from other episodes and any listeners who've been following along, how much I deeply adore a good, strong male friendship. So he and Bucky, that was one of my favorite parts as well. Um, heartbreaking when he fell off the train. Uh, and one fun thing I noticed, and maybe we can get this more into cookies later, um, there were some pretty strong, I felt, Star Wars vibes, especially towards the end when they're doing those fights through the uh, the forest, racing on the motorcycles. It had very Moon of Endor battle vibes, so I thought that was a lot of fun too. Let's explore two things that you said, Megan. First of all, the Canadian perspective. Um for those who haven't figured it out, Megan's Canadian, and she she brings all of that Canadian stuff with her. And part of that stuff is observation about us Americans. And so I was really intrigued that you saw early on, or, or the way, rather, Captain America was used early in his career really was as a propaganda tool. 
And that was exactly how he was envisioned uh, when the comic books came out. And uh, it was Captain America himself who really wanted to move beyond this caricature of, of literally someone who is representing America. And that led to the creation of the Howling Commandos and his um, going out and, and engaging in mayhem. But uh, I almost got the sense that you didn't say it, but I almost got the sense of how American create a Captain America. You would never see Captain Canada. Uh, you just have the- whatever it took to get y'all into that war. <laughs> you know, you just put a Mountie up there, and everybody would know. Oh yeah, Canadian. Um, Actually, the Mounties, uh, the image of the Mountie is also owned by Disney. So who knows? Maybe we will get that at some point in the future. There we go. There we go. Um, so um, that's observation one. Two is uh, really. I have to ask you, as a woman, the Peggy perspective. She was clearly in love with him. It was clearly very poignant. We see we see a lot more uh, of her, uh, although in my opinion, not enough throughout this series. But was it really a love affair for the ages? I, I think it, it was, uh, and I think the moment it started was when they were in training, um, and she had you know big walls up, very sensibly in her her position and her role within the army. Um, but when the general, Tommy Lee Jones, always a treat, um, threw that grenade and Steve Rogers ran for it. So did Peggy. Um, she ran towards, you know, unlike most of the soldiers did. And I think that was when she first really saw, oh, no, wait, this, this is someone I can connect with. This is someone who is like me. Um, I, I, think, I think they were great. I, I, I'm not a fan of most romances um, in media. I just I don't find them super interesting, but I like theirs. I think they've earned it and I think they worked for it. You know, in that scene for me, and and really the dressing down Rogers got from uh, the Tommy Lee Jones character, uh, and even in the the unit, I felt like they connected because they were both outsiders. It mm-hmm. was this puny little runt of the litter, literally, and kudos to the CGI to get uh, uh, Chris's head in that small little body. I, I watched a little bit about how they did that. They they shot a bunch of his takes four times, uh, once with regular Steve, once with the body double, then empty and with motion capture. It was so cool. I had no idea it was actually CGI. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I thought it was just really good voice syncing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I just felt like they were both outsiders, and, and he saw that in her and uh, that they were going to connect simply on that basis. Um, and then, of course, the grenade scene was incredibly powerful, and both uh, the scientist Erskine and Tommy Lee Jones realized that that was their man uh, when he did that uh, as well. And I think it was just like such a great demonstration of a lot of things that, um, you know, small Steve Rogers had said before. Um, he very much believes everything that he says. I think that's one of the best parts about him as a character is that that unshakable sincerity um, and, you know, the willingness to do what he believes is right, whatever that is. I guess since we had previously been previously um, released MCU movies, we knew about cookies. But one of the great treats of every MCU movie is the cookies. <laughs> so these are hidden in plain sight. They reference uh, things uh, from as disparate as Star Wars to other MCU characters to to comics. So. Uh, Megan and I always have a ton of fun around the cookies. So, Megan, um, 
You want to tell me uh, some of your top cookies and hopefully we didn't overlap too much. I'm not 100% sure this counts as a cookie, um, but Natalie Dormer as Agent Lorraine, um, Natalie Dormer as Femme Fatale, absolutely always fantastic as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> She's so good. <laughs> um, and I uh, also took down the uh, the Howling Commandos, is the, the name of them. Uh, the French translation I absolutely loved uh, for what he said, why he was going to to join up with them. So I'll fight until the last of the um, expletive are dead, um, chained up or crying like little babies. Uh, so I, I always think that's a lot of fun. Um, General, whose name I can't remember, who was played by Tommy Lee Jones, quoted General Patton, which I thought was really cool right at the beginning. Uh, so wars are fought with guns, but they're won by men. Um, General Patton quote. Uh, so uh, early well, on, there was a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark with the term trinkets in the desert. Oh. And that actually comes from the end oh, of the Raiders of the yes. Lost Ark, uh, <laughs> where they are unveiling the Ark of the Covenant and uh, everyone dies. So uh, uh, you usually don't get homages to other movies in the cookies, but this one we did. Uh, there was, uh, uh, in addition to Captain America being a comic book in the 40s, he was also a TV serial in the 40s. And there was uh, a, a reference, uh, the shot of the Captain America serials uh, running at one point. Uh, you're absolutely right on the Howling Commandos, uh, but at one point they yell out Wahoo, which was the big phrase in the comic books. Uh, one cookie, which is in every MCU movie, and it is so cool, it doesn't matter where it is, is the appearance of Stan Lee. And we had Stan Lee in this movie. And then when I went back and looked at it again, I was stunned to find there was a picture of a uh, two-eyed Nick Fury. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode, but um, the um, um, in this movie, he is... Uh, Hatched with one eye, as he is in almost all of the uh, rest of the movies. So, uh, an interesting homage uh, to that. Uh, obviously, this film, Megan, was a huge hit on a worldwide basis. Um, I guess, how, how did it make you feel might be the best question. Up until the very last couple of scenes, which I think were, were made to be rather heartbreaking. It was satisfying. I mean, I love a good war movie. Um, and this was kind of it. It was all the, the best things about war movies and superhero movies together. Um, and it was so good to see, you know, someone working really hard for something that seems really unachievable and it gradually becoming more and more real. And so the things that were happening are reflected more and more uh, in Steve Rogers' reality. You know, and ultimately, um, at least in terms of the war in that battle, they, they won the day. Um, so I thought it was a really satisfying film. What about you? We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsor. Well, uh, I love action. And I can pretty much take action anywhere, any form, any genre. And this was action. Uh, I love cool scientific stuff, and this had cool scientific stuff. 
the um, Howard Stark character is clearly based on Howard Hughes. He's not simply a Texan. He's a Houstonian. So I'm a Houstonian or I was a Houstonian. And so uh, I always uh, uh, enjoy things about Howard Hughes and Howard Stark was equally eccentric. Uh, and that really drives a large part of, of uh, the Iron Man series. But I really enjoyed seeing a little bit of, of Howard Stark that, uh, like I said, I fell in love with uh, Peggy Carter way early uh, in this movie. But uh, you touched on it, Megan, which is how difficult was it for a woman, not serving directly in combat, but pretty near the front lines? Uh, you know, it's going to be difficult in in that situation. You're around 99.99% men who are typically going to have one thing on their mind, and they're going to voice that one thing. And, you know, you have to... Uh, you have to outboy the boys. You have to be more professional than the officers. You have to outperform. You have to be the best. And early on, we saw her, I don't think, trying to do it, doing that. And that scene really struck me because I think about kind of the the, the battles that women fought, uh, not so much now, but getting you know through the 60s when I was alive and I could see that. And and women in traditionally male professions, and I think of D.C. Fontana, who was uh, a script who started out as uh, Gene Roddenberry's secretary, who became a script editor, who became a script writer on Star Trek. She couldn't use her name, Dorothy. She had to go by D.C. Fontana so that it wouldn't appear a woman had written a script. And you know those sorts of challenges that we don't think about now, but um, for someone like Peggy Carter. Uh, you know, the term drunk, handsy guy probably doesn't come close to describing what she had to go through. And, uh, um, she's got a great right hook, but, though. Yeah, great <laughs> right hook. And, and really, how, you know, if you wanted to play with the boys, you had to beat the boys. Mm-hmm. And she beat the boys. Uh, so I thought that that part was great. The, the action with the howling commandos was great. Um, the, uh, the description of Hydra and getting a little bit of their backstory, I really enjoyed. Um, um, I really thought the end scene with uh, Stephen Peggy was incredibly poignant. And I don't know if it was because I was in love with Peggy by then, <laughs> or it was such a contrast to the rest of the movie, or that I knew he was losing the love of his life and he was going to live a long, long time in the future. Um uh, the dance or the non-dance, I guess. Let me, you know, let me take you out for a dance. Um, it, it was so bittersweet because he had, you know, spent this whole movie um, working so hard to realize who he was to get to what he really wanted. And then to continue being who he was, he had to give up what he really wanted. Right. And that was just this, this amazing self-sacrifice. Um, yeah, it was, it was really touching. Uh, but even at the very end, um, the baseball game on the radio, I grew up in a little town in Texas, and we used to listen to baseball on the radio because we didn't have baseball on television back then. And so I listened to a lot of baseball on the radio, and uh, my my father grew up with baseball on the radio, so that was what he grew up with. And, and for Steve to be listening to a Brooklyn Dodgers game on the radio and say, wait a minute, I was at that game. And that be what 
uh, made him realize something something was up, and that he was living a, a much later life than than he had left. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, it was a great introduction uh, to Captain America. I'm not sure they could have found a better actor. No, absolutely uh, not. Than, I can't Chris imagine Rogers. being anyone yeah. else. Yeah. So uh, interestingly, he apparently turned down the role, I think, at least three times. Really? Yeah. And uh, he had been the original um, Johnny Flame uh, in uh, Fantastic Four, The Human Torch. And um, that's my favorite character from the Fantastic Four. So I loved him from that movie. Uh, But that experience did really endear him because he thought it didn't turn out well in terms of the success of the movie. He didn't want to get tied into a six term or six movie contract with something that wasn't going to go well. Well, boy, was he wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I can't really think of a better way to start this whole series than, than with a movie that I think universally is just loved. Uh, for all of the reasons we talked about and probably a hundred different more, Megan, mm-hmm. any kind of closing thoughts? No, I, I, I- couldn't agree anymore, really. I think it was, I mean, it's called Captain America, but it's a really relatable story that absolutely anyone can get a huge amount out of. Um, so, I mean, it was a great beginning uh, to the MCU uh, and introduced one of the most amazing and important characters in it and also Captain America. All right. Well, I am Tom Fox. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode of Popcorn and Compliance, uh, the MCU. See you next time. This is Tom Fox. I hope you have enjoyed this first episode where Megan Doherty and myself explore the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Megan is the co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I, of course, am the voice of Compliance and founder of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join us again for our next episode where Megan and I take a look at Captain Marvel. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.